Hey, my friend, welcome along to the Medicinal Chef's Nutrition Nuggets podcast, helping you get clarity on nutrition. I'm Dale Pinnock, the Medicinal Chef, best-selling author, nutritionist, and creator of Nutrition Coaching Monthly. Every week here in the podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions and discussing key topics around the field of nutrition to help give you clarity and to expand your knowledge. Hey folks, how are you doing? It's been a little while, hasn't it? It's been a couple of weeks. Well, you know, sometimes you have to take a little bit of time out and get yourself back in the game, recharge the batteries. I've needed that. I've been a little bit out of sorts and um, a little bit flat. So I just had to get my mojo back, look after myself a little bit. Plus, I've been traveling around a lot working on different things that have um, meant I've been living out of a suitcase for a few weeks. But here I am, back in the chair, and I'm going to jump back into the swing of things by answering a couple of your questions. I've had quite a few come through, so I'm literally just sectioning them out into you know one or, one or two, maybe three questions per show, and I will intermingle those with other specific subjects as we have spoken about. So let's jump straight into it. So the first question has come in from Patty Dewey. It says, hi Dale, I'm a, a regular listener to your podcast. Thank you very much. And I have a question regarding calcium in supplements. There's a multi here that says that when calcium is mixed in with other vitamins and minerals, it can block the benefits of the other nutrients in question. Is this true? And if so, to what extent? No, it isn't really true. Um, Potentially very, very high levels of dietary calcium can be an antagonist to other minerals at times, but you have to follow some kind of extreme pattern. Like you'd have to drink like a litre of milk with a salad to kind of stop some of the magnesium and and some of the non-heme iron getting absorbed. But that's a pretty daft thing to do anyway. And it's not really a pattern that would be normal. But when you take a lot of these supplements, you have to remember these supplements aren't just kind of thrown together by, you know, by (laughs) some kind of kids at a desk. These are formulated by by chemists usually, and most of the manufacturing facilities will advise companies on best practice for formulation. And all of these considerations are taken into account when something like a multivitamin is being created. How do I know this? I used to be the technical director of a company called Viridian Nutrition, which are one of the biggest supplement companies in the UK. I was involved in a lot of product formulation. So I know the level of consultancy that goes into these things. And everything, everything is developed in a way that the end user will get the most benefit out of the supplement. I guess really, it depends, you know, what your specific concerns are as well. If you just want to make sure that you're covering all your nutritional bases with a good multi, then to be honest, you've you've got the boxes ticked. It's not going to be any kind of major issue. But if you have got specific concerns about calcium and calcium status, then that's a slightly different story. To be honest, I would be looking more at vitamin D because one of the main things that vitamin D does is is basically regulate the serum concentration of calcium and that's a two-way two-way flow of traffic if 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 serum calcium rises dramatically from either taking a supplement or from a calcium rich meal then vitamin d will actually take any excess 
into the skeleton, and the skeleton will work like a, a giant storage depot for this calcium, and obviously it gives it gives hardness to the skeleton as well. And then likewise, if serum calcium levels have got too low for too long, then vitamin D will shuttle some from the, the skeleton into the serum. So if you have a, a calcium-specific concern, then I would look at vitamin D alongside a good broad calcium rich diet and the right supplementation so drop me a line and let me know if you, if you do have any of those kind of concerns and we can unpack this a little bit further so that's question number one question number two comes in from anisha now this is about vegan diets and obviously vegan diets are becoming much more popular me personally i consume a predominantly plant-based diet I say predominantly, I do have meat and fish sometimes, but 99% of the time my diet is a plant-based one. So I can speak on this subject. I was pure vegan for over 20 years, so something I know a lot about. And the email says, uh, my 12-year-old daughter has decided she wants to, to be vegan and I want to support her by gathering information, come on, put your teeth in, information so she can replace nutrients she might miss without you know, you know, from not consuming the animal products. She was a pescatarian for six years from age four and a half. So her body's not used to meat anyway. For the last two weeks, I've found her eating actually a much healthier diet, plenty of omega-3 and calcium through whole grains, seeds, almonds. Well, we're going to be talking about omega-3 and you might actually find um, find some useful nuggets there. I guess I just wanted your opinion on teenage girls and vegan diets. She has a healthy appetite, and I know her decision to cut out animal products is a moral one. Her dad is worried and says that vegan diets are not suitable for, for her age. Is there anything I can say to reassure him? Her fruit and veg, veg intake has increased, and she has protein from pulses, beans, and meat substitutes. We also have vitamin B12 and vitamin D oral sprays. I think compared to her omnivorous friends, she's probably healthier. Anisha, I would absolutely agree with you on that one. Now, just to reassure your husband on this one, there is nothing, there is nothing that she would potentially lack that cannot be adequately addressed with a supplement. 98% of the diet will cover her nutritional basis. The only few, there's a few things that you need to obviously consider. The first is the caloric density. It's very easy to not get enough calories on a plant-based diet. It's very easy to do that because these are very, very low calorie nutrient dense foods, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. But obviously, obviously for a 12 year old girl that's going through all these really, really important growth cycles, plus is using her brain every day at school, you want to make sure that she's really, really well fueled. Obviously, if it's like somebody older with cardiovascular disease and they wanted to lose weight and all that kind of stuff, then that very, very low calorie diet, wonderful. But for for a girl of her age, you want to make sure that there's good calorie density there. So I would make sure that there's plenty of good fats. You've already mentioned things like almonds and those kinds of things, avocados, hummus, good olive oil based dressings, those kind of things to give some caloric density to the diet and also that those, you know, some of those beneficial fats and fat soluble antioxidants. Now, let's come on to some of the things that can potentially be missing. And my number one concern, just from what you've told me, is the long chain omega-3 fatty acids. Now, for a long time, people have been saying that foods like flax seeds and chia seeds and walnuts and all these kinds of things are wonderful sources of omega-3. They're not at all. Now, yes, they contain loads of omega-3, 
but that doesn't mean they're a good source of omega-3. That sounds counterintuitive, I know. Omega-3 is not one single substance. It's an entire family of fatty acids. And out of that family, there's two main ones that actually have any influence upon human physiology. And those are EPA and DHA, icosapentaenoic acid, docosahexaenoic acid. These two long-chain omega-3 fatty acids are the ones that will feed directly into key metabolic pathways within the body. They're involved in regulating inflammation, in healthy cholesterol levels, healthy blood pressure, maintaining the health of the, you know, the skin, hair, nails, eyes. But the important things in your daughter's case two big things. Number one, the development and growth of the central nervous system. Her brain is still developing. Obviously, there's not that kind of spinal cord development that she would have been getting in infancy, but the brain is absolutely growing like mad. She's at school. She's forming new neural pathways. She's still going to be developing until she's like you know 18 to 20. DHA particularly is absolutely vital for brain development. The second thing, I don't know whether she's started a menstrual cycle yet, but it's not going to be far off. One of the big problems that, you know, takes some getting used to are obviously menstrual cramps and a lot of the pains. EPA, the omega-3 fatty acid EPA, will actually help the body to manufacture something called a series 3 prostaglandin, which is a communication substance that, one, takes down inflammation, but also is involved in pain signaling, reducing pain signaling and reducing smooth muscle contraction, particularly uterine smooth muscle contraction. So it can help to ease menstrual cramps as well. So those two things are really, really important. Now, why is it a concern in for me in your daughter's case? Well, the plant sources of omega-3 do not provide these. As I said, omega-3 is not just one substance. It's a family of fatty acids. In the plant kingdom, omega-3 exists in the form of ALA. Okay, it's a fatty acid called ALA. ALA has to go through significant enzymatic conversion to be converted over into the long chain EPA and DHA, the ones that actually feed into key metabolic pathways within the human body. They have to go through the desaturase enzymes, the elongase enzymes, the molecule has to be stretched out, more double bonds need to be put in place. It's a very, very complex series of reactions. And it's something that human beings really don't do effectively. You're looking at about a 4 5% conversion of ALA into EPA and a 0.6% conversion of ALA into DHA. So she could be eating nuts and seeds all day long and she wouldn't be getting anywhere near the amount that she needs. But there is a way around that. Now there are omega-3 supplements that are derived from algae so 100% plant-based, that contain both EPA and DHA. There's been algae-derived DHA on the market for decades, but it's only in recent years that, that we've actually had access to ones that had both the EPA and the DHA. She needs both. So look for a good quality supplement that includes both EPA and DHA. And then, to be fair, the other things you're doing right, you're supplementing with B12, 
you're supplementing with vitamin D. I would probably, you know, I would I would go into the higher doses of vitamin D, um, particularly, you know, as she's still going to be going through skeletal development. You don't need to worry about calcium. If, if she's got a really good, broad plant-based diet, the calcium needs will be being met. This, this thing, this ridiculous notion that you've got to guzzle down the breast milk of a different species of creature in order to get your calcium needs has been defunct for years. I mean, some people still cling to that message, but it just isn't the case. You know what? I like a bit of cheese. I'm all good. I, I love a bit of blue cheese, a bit of feta. Awesome. I love it because it tastes good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's got a good protein here, but it's not essential. The whole calcium thing is, you know, it's it's been really, really overplayed. Abundant in green vegetables, abundant in nuts and seeds, tofu, fortified milks. So providing... her diet is broad, all of those kind of key foods are in there, then um, the bases are being, are being hit. And then the protein, not going to be a problem if she's eating nuts and pulses, those kinds of things. That, those, are the, those are my only real points. It's it, You know, she's really doing it right. I always get concerned with uh, younger people that adopt a vegan diet and it's like vegan nuggets and chips, I mean, that's awful. Yes, it's kind of a more ethical diet in comparison to an animal-based one, but it is a million miles away from a healthy diet. So the fact that she's actually um, eating a whole food, plant-based diet is a brilliant way to start. So Anisha, Patty, those are your questions answered. If any of you guys want me to answer a question for you here on the podcast, then just email me at Dale at themedicinalchef.co.uk and I will get the question answered. That's the main website. If you want to check me out, check out what I do, that's the place to go, themedicinalchef.co.uk. Now, normally at this point, I would be telling you about Nutrition Coaching Monthly and all those kind of things, but there's some new things in the pipeline, so I'm not going to get you G'd up with that. All I'm going to say is watch this space for some very, 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 exciting announcements. Until next time, see you later.